Our first scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 13 to 20. Listen now for God's word to us. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world, a city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one after lighting a lamp puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, unless heaven and earth pass away, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Our second scripture comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Listen again for God's word to us. When I came to you, brothers and sisters, I did not come proclaiming the mystery of God uh, to you in lofty words or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I came to you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. My speech and my proclamation were not with plausible words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on the power of God. Yet among the mature, we do speak wisdom, though it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to perish. But we speak God's wisdom, secret and hidden, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understand this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen nor ear has heard, what God has, nor the human heart conceived, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For what human being knows what is truly human except the human spirit that, that is within? So also no one comprehends what is truly God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit that is from God, so that we may understand the gifts bestowed to us by God. This is the word of the Lord. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. 
salt and light. So not exactly the first two images that I would put together. Not sure exactly what they have to do with, do with each other. Now, light I get. I, I get, you know, saying the light of the world. You know, all throughout Advent, we talked about Jesus as the light that shines in the darkness. And how powerful now that Jesus calls us the light of the world. But what about salt? That's a little, that's a little bit more foreign to us. No matter how many times I read this passage, it, it, it always seems a little bit strange to me. That might be because when I think of salt, one of the first things that I think of immediately is my blood pressure. Because my family has a bit of a history of high blood pressure. And I've had some issues with blood pressure as well. So that's something I'm always attuned to when it comes to salt. But somehow I don't think Jesus' point was to, to call his disciples the givers of high blood pressure to the world. Now, that might be an accurate description, though, for some of us. Now, we do know that salt was considered a rather precious commodity in the ancient world. It's an essential element of life. And in fact, many ancient cultures even used salt as a form of currency. The English word salary is derived from the Latin word for salt, hence the expression whether or not someone is worth their salt, right? And in the Jewish world, though, along with its you know, typical use as a preservative and uh, a seasoning to give flavor and these other things, salt was also an essential ingredient in worship. Leviticus 2.13 says, You shall not omit your, from your grain offerings the salt of the covenant of, with your God. With all your offerings you shall offer salt. Interesting. All your offerings, you shall offer salt. Now, I suspect that there's not many of us here who would tend to think of worship when we think of salt. That's not the first, you know, thing that would come to mind, but it's important for the to understand the context of Jesus' sayings here. It's an essential element to the worship of God in the Jewish system. And for a crowd of Jewish peasants to hear that they are the salt of the earth. This is probably one of the first associations that would have come to mind. You are the salt of the earth, he says to them. You are precious. You are valuable. You are pleasing to God. And it's important to remember, to, to notice, that Jesus doesn't say, do these things and you will become the salt of the earth. You will become the light of the world. He says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. It's a bit like last week when we read the Beatitudes, and Jesus was talking about those who are blessed, and we observed that this, isn't, this wasn't a checklist of things to do to get you blessed. And so continuing from that, he says that they already are. You are already the salt of the earth. You are already the light of the world. So more than anything, this, this sounds to me like words of encouragement, words of affirmation, encouraging them to continue to live along the patterns of faithful living that they are already walking. I think our tendency is, is to often to read these as callings or exhortations of some sort, that we ought to be the salt of the earth. We ought to try to live as the light of the, as lights of the world. But that's not what Jesus says. He says this is what we already are. 
and many probably hear that and say, well, no, not me. Certainly not I. That's not me. Now, hopefully one day I can be good enough to be considered the salt of the earth, but, but I'm not there yet. And then other times it can even be uh, construed as words of judgment, right? Like, someone's losing her saltiness today, right? But, and that, of course, begs the question, how does salt go about losing its flavor? How does it become unsalty? When is the last time you grabbed the salt shaker from the back of your pantry, sprinkled it onto your mashed potatoes or green beans, and took a bite, only to realize that your salt had gone bad, that it was stale, that it didn't have flavor, that it lost its saltiness? Has this happened to anyone before? What does unsalty salt taste like? I've, I've never experienced that. And in fact, scientists will say that that salt, or sodium chloride, is a very simple, yet incredibly stable chemical compound. In other words, it's nearly impossible for salt to lose its saltiness. The only conceivable way uh, for salt to lose its saltiness would, would be to dissolve it in water, for instance. But even then, it can very easily be extracted, again, because it's so stable. You can boil the water enough to extract the salt from it. So what are we to make of, of all of Jesus' talk about salt losing its saltiness? What, what is Jesus getting at here? Perhaps, rather than a simple warning against losing saltiness, perhaps Jesus is underscoring the absolute absurdity of such a notion. Remember that just before he began the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew tells us he's traveling all throughout Galilee, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and then in the Sermon on the Mount, one of the things he's doing is teaching about what life in the kingdom looks like, what life as part of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven looks like. Because the kingdom is not simply something we experience after we die. It's a reality that we are invited into today. Remember that Jesus doesn't say the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is coming. He says the kingdom of God is at hand. It's already here. It begins now and extends beyond death. And to those who understand that the kingdom of God is truly at hand, Jesus says to them, you are the salt of the earth. Likewise, there's the, the lamp that's hid under a bushel basket. And that's always struck me as a bit of an absurd image too. Aside from the obvious wondering why anyone would put a lamp under a bushel basket, it also seems pretty dangerous, doesn't it? This is not exactly the type of thing that Smokey the Bear would approve of. It's, it, there's a risk, right? The risk, of course, is that the flame from the lamp would then engulf the entire basket. So perhaps once again, Jesus' point is that there's no use trying to hide your light. It will find a way out because you are the light of the world. That city built up on that hill, it cannot hide no matter how much it might try to. Because when you begin to live into that new reality of God's kingdom, you can't help but be salt and light. The light gets out one way or another. The salt will always remain salty. But these words can be somewhat difficult for some of us to hear and to digest. Because for many of us, it's, it's very difficult to receive any kind of praise or a compliment or uh, a thanks for, for a job well done 
we have this, a lot of us have this built-in kind of defense mechanism to, to deflect that kind of lavish praise. And that's precisely why it's so important to hear this directly from Jesus. You are the salt of the earth. You are, you are the light of the world. But we think, no, Jesus, you're the light. I'm not the light. You are the light. I don't have much to offer. I'm, I'm a nobody. And Jesus reminds us, a city built on a hill cannot be hid. One of the most powerful experiences that I can remember uh, in my life of faith is a few years ago, not many, I was on a retreat with a group of college students, um, all of whom were Young Life leaders in St. Augustine. And we went up to uh, this camp called Pioneer Plunge up in North Carolina. And as you can probably hear, it's, it's kind of this pioneer camping experience. You know, it's just uh, one little cabin at the, you know, at the top of this mountain. It's like a couple mile hike up to bring all your stuff with you. Um, you know, there's no electricity, no running water. You, you cook everything from a, um, a stove that is, it's a wood-burning stove. You bring everything with you. You spend most of your day while you're there, uh, especially because we went in the wintertime. So you spend most of the day that you're there uh, chopping down trees and turning them into firewood. Like, they don't provide firewood for you. If you want to stay warm, you got to go cut up some trees. And, and then, of course, also throughout the night, if you want to stay warm again, someone's got to tend that fire, keep that fire lit. But it, it was an amazing experience for so many reasons. I mean, unplugging from the world, you know, no cell phones, no internet, none of that. I mean, all of that stuff was, was really amazing. But easily the best part of the trip was, was near the end. And we, there were, it was at night, a few of us, probably five or six, were uh, sitting outside around the fire pit, just having some conversation. And I don't remember exactly how it, it got started, but at some point, it kind of turned into this conversation where each of us were, we would kind of focus on one person and tell that person all of the things that we appreciated about them, all of the ways that, that we had seen and experienced God in that person, just focusing all on that one person, just laying it all like, this is, what, I saw you do this one time, or this is what I feel when I'm around you, and I really appreciate the way that God works through you. And, and we would do that. We did that for a while, and then eventually someone else would come out, and they would kind of join the circle, and then they would get all these words of affirmation, and they would sit down and join the circle, and someone else would come out. And so eventually, we had basically the entire group that was there of 20 to 25 people all sitting around a circle, telling each other the ways that we had seen God move through each other, telling each other the ways that we had been salt and light without even realizing that we had been, that we had done it. And it was, it was fascinating because almost every single person would try to interrupt, would, would try to say, no, no, no. I mean, they would even argue with us. Like, no, 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 no. That's, that's not completely true. You know, you, you don't really understand. If, if you knew me a little bit better, and we'd have to stop them. No, no, no. Just listen. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. It was this incredible moment of, being able to bear witness to the ways that each of us were already living into the calling that Christ had given us, even though we may not always realize it. Of course, none of us are perfect. We always have room for improvement. And Jesus knows that. But that doesn't stop him from calling us the salt of the earth, the light of the world, reminding us that this is who we already are. And notice how it is that Jesus says our light shines. 
he says that through our good works, people will be moved to give glory to God. One of the great deficiencies that many of us feel is, is the inadequacy of our words to properly speak about our faith or to tell of the incredible love of God. How do we put that into words? It, it can be very difficult sometimes. And both Jesus and Paul remind us that sometimes words aren't necessary to proclaim the gospel. In his letter to the church in Corinth, Paul says that when he was with them, he decided to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And he goes on to say, My speech and proclamation were not with plausible words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Now, I don't know exactly what that means. We can't really figure out exactly what happened when Paul was, was with that church. We don't know what he means uh, exactly about a demonstration of spirit and power. But it sounds to me a whole lot like salt and light. It sounds like he was letting his good works shine before them. He was letting his light shine, and they saw the glory of God through him. Now, this is not to suggest that words are useless, because I'm a preacher, so <laughs> I have to use words. And of course, we should. We should tell people about the love of Christ and about what, what God has done in and through us. But I think the point that Jesus is, is making is one that most of us have probably been taught since we were little kids. Actions speak louder than words. Because words can be dangerous. They can be manipulative. Two people can say the exact same sentence, the exact same words, but in a different tone. And it can mean something uh, very, very different. It's the difference between nice dress and nice dress, right? Growing up, you know, my, my mom always used to tell me, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. Because words, even when well-intentioned, can be used as a bludgeon. But when we're loving and serving each other in our actions, it's a lot harder to mess that up. Now, granted, we can find ways, absolutely, but it's much harder because there's something so pure about doing good deeds for one another, about serving each other. There's something about it that it shines a light in a way that we may not otherwise be able to through words alone. Interestingly, elsewhere uh, in the book of Colossians, Paul again warns about the difficulty of words. He says, let your speech always be gracious seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer everyone. He knows, that, he knows the power that our words carry and reminds the people to be careful and to add a little bit of extra seasoning to them. But when we live as a part of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God that is already here and in our midst, we are already salt and light. When our lives become wrapped up in the kingdom of God and how God is moving in our world and in our community, our lives take on a new shape. We're transformed in some way. We begin to live as salt and light, often without even realizing it. I'm certain that there are many, many stories of salt and light right here in this very sanctuary. In the brief time that we've been here in Jasper, We've already experienced the salt and the light of this congregation in many profound ways. 
This room is full of people with stories of salt and light because you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And these are the stories that sustain us. These are the stories that remind us of who we are in Christ and how God is calling us to be in relationship with each other. We are called to live as salt and light, not so that we might be able to earn those titles and become salt and light, but because we already are salt and light. And when we embrace and embody our Christ-given identities as salt and light, our good, our good works will shine like a light. And those whom we encounter may begin to understand and appreciate the words of the psalmist, taste and see that the Lord is good. So may we embrace who we are in Christ as salt and light, that we might live as such, and that our lives may continue to point others to the one who has made us and called us the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Apart from Christ, we are not salt and light, but in Christ, we are a new creation. So let us continue to live as a new creation, pointing others to the grace we find in Christ, because this is what Christ has called us to. Amen.